0: Welcome to another action-packed episode of the Deadly Podcast Kung Fu, brought to you by the Villains The Man, where myself, JVD, attempts to traverse the continuity of Marvel's most prolific martial artist, in Iron Fist and Shang-Chi. If you want to keep up the podcast, you can do so over on Twitter and Instagram, and Mastodon and Facebook, which I think I'm just about done with those, especially Facebook, considering that it's mostly dead. If you want to follow myself, JVD, you can do so over on Twitter at JVD of TVD. Now today, we're diving into some Shang-Chi action. We're going to cover the first two parts of the story of Warrior. Uh, It's kind of a strange name for this character, which um, I'll get into as we get on to the story. Now, there is some uh, issue numbering problems when it comes to this story. Uh, The first issue is 54, and then the next issue um, is 55, which I covered with 52, Because it's a one-shot that's placed in the middle of the story, which, you know, really doesn't make a lot of sense. Then we'll be covering issue 56, and then the story continues on in 57 and 58. Now, uh, before I get started, um, there's a lot of stuff going on with uh, shang Chi sequel being tied into the Ten Rings, being part of all the Kang Dynasty stuff in Chronopolis, which is cool. I really like the idea, but there's a lot of rumors that the next movie is called The Wreckage of Time. And we'll kind of go along with uh, Doctor Strange number 3 as we're entering the Kang Dynasty and Secret Wars parts of Avengers. I guess that's all Phase 6 stuff. Um, And, and that's cool. I think it's great. I really like that they're going to tie Shang-Chi into a lot of this. But there, there's one thing I don't think people realize. I think that the signal is coming from, like, uh, the Quantum Realm. And I get that that's cool, but there's a part I think everybody's missing here. When Shang-Chi is taking... To meet with uh Captain Marvel Bruce Banner w- and uh Wong Wong says that when he first got the rings they felt it in Carmitage, which means that they they could be very magical based is what I'm thinking here because there's a thing his father has had them for a thousand years or more, and anytime when wo had them, you would think that all these uh mystical magical sorcerer people within the earth would have felt it that entire time and but they he also says that it doesn't register with any artifacts that are were listed and then captain marvel says no it's not space stuff bruce says it's not vibranium and i think that's one of the things people is missing is that wong only mentions that they felt it in Carmitage. Uh, the hulk said it never registered on anything that they had captain marvel said it never registered on anything so but here on the flip side it can be tied to what's going on with Doctor Strange, because Doctor Strange had the Time Stone, and we know everything that's going on has to do with time with Kang. And if you know anything that's going on with uh, the Kang Dynasty and Secret Wars, is it looks like we're getting a lot of Hickman Secret War stuff. And there's that rumor that everything between the Kang Dynasty and Secret Wars is going to be Battle World stuff, so we're going to get alternate stuff like that. Due to all the timelines and variants in Marvel. So yeah, it could be considered to be part of time. I just think there's a clue there that no one's catching on to. It seems very mystical. And it's very odd that when he took the rings. That it was found in And we know that the rings took on a golden glow. Like he's the last dragon from Barry Gordon's movie. And it was never brought up that they felt the power before that. With Wenwu while he was fighting Shang-Chi. So, interesting that only then is when it happened, and not before then. So I just kind of want to throw that out there. I still don't know what I think's going to happen. I just like that he's about to get this big push in the MCU with all the King Dynasty stuff. Uh, Personally, um, I would like to see him take on the Scarlet Centurion, because he's kind of more of the brawler and the fighter out of all the uh, Nathaniel Richards variants. And I kind of think that Rama Tut will be the first villain for the Fantastic Four. Because that's where he originated at before he even had Kang. And then I would like to see Immortus tied with Miss Marvel. And the Marvels, I would really like to see him be the villain. I could see where the bangles that Miss Marvel has kind of transfers Carol away from all the Immortus stuff. And I I know people would be like, oh, what about the rape of Miss Marvel and everything that was Immortus? If you read that story... It's Marcus Immortus, it's Immortus' son, it's not the variant of Kang that does all that, and I think that would be a way to tie them guys together, because for all we know, maybe that Carolus pulled from the future into the past, and Miss Marvel gets pulled into the future with the Bengals, and maybe they could be tied to Kang, because we know the world that we've seen in the Miss Marvel series kind of looks like it came from the quantum realm, or some other type of space stuff, but anyways, yeah. That's just the one thing I want to say. People's not thinking about that. When Shang-Chi had the Ten Rings, it was felt in Carmitage. It never said that Wenwu, when he used them, was. Just only when Shang-Chi had, and that's when the beacon got set off. So, kind of interesting there. Just want to point that out, get it out of the way. But anyways, let's go ahead and move on to the episode at hand. Um, And I know I've been doing this with Iron Fist, and it's more so because Iron Fist is really caught up a lot in with the lot of Marvel characters because they're debuting his book and Shang-Chi doesn't get this but I'm still going to break down the issues that were released at the time of said issues we're covering so with Master 54 which was released on April 12th 1977 there was 10 other issues from Marvel Amazing Spider-Man 170 Captain America 211 Eternals 13 Marvel Triple Action 36 Miss Marvel number seven there's some Carol Danvers for you Nova number 11, Red Sonia number 4, Star Wars number 1. We're starting to see Star Wars blow up in the world at large. Thor 267, and Crazy Magazine 27. With 56, which was released on June 7th, 1977. Man, could you imagine if issues for a continuity book were released every two months? It would drive readers insane. It'd make things cheaper, but man, it would take forever to get stories over with. But anyways, um, there were thirteen other issues that week. Howard the Duck newspaper strips, Volume One, Issue One. Howard the Duck Annual Number One. Amazing Spider-Man One Seventy Two. Captain America Two Thirteen. Crazy Magazine Twenty Nine. Eternals Fifteen. Marvel Triple Action Thirty Seven. Marvel's Greatest Comics Seventy Two. Miss Marvel Number Nine. Nova Thirty One. Red Sonja Number Five. Star Wars Number Three. Thor Two Sixty Three. So, um, as you can kind of tell, um, Shang-Chi is on this every two months, and a lot of other Marvel titles are being released monthly, because um, like I said, Thor, it's an issue ahead from the last issue of 54, so is Star Wars, so is Spider-Man, so is Miss Marvel, so is Nova. So, I mean, Shang-Chi, for being this popular character there in the 70s, is on a two-month basis of books being released. But uh, let's go ahead and get to uh, the story of Warrior, which is what the title of number 54 is. The writer is Doug Minch, pencil letters is Jim Craig, inks is John Tartagoloni. That's a mouthful. Colorist is Phil Rachelson, letter is Joe Rosens, and the editor is Archie Goodwin. The cover is done by the legend himself who drew Shang-Chi for the first time, Jim Starlin. Pretty awesome cover, we have Shang-Chi in the background. We have some of the villains for this book, all three of them, and I'm not going to tell you who they are unless you've seen this cover for yourself. I'm just going to kind of let it unfold as the story continues. After leaving MI6, Shang-Chi, Liko Wu, and Black Jack Tar, and Clive Reston huggle about adjusting to their new lives as citizens. Not used to the boredom, Black Jack Tar calls Clive up to have a drink. As Clive goes to leave his home, an arrow is fired out of the darkness at his door, causing it to explode before he can grab the handle. Looking through the opening to spot the assassin, Robin Hood swings from a lamppost and kicks Reston through the door. The two brawl through the living room until the assassin pulls an electrified sword, making it hard for Reston to hold on to anything to defend himself with. Finally, he manages to get to his pistol, but Robin Hood flees as he's fired upon. Not wanting the assassin to escape, Clive jumps in his sport car and chases him through London until he crashes it down a hill. As he gets out of the vehicle, Reston loses Robin Hood and a crowd of citizens watching some mimes. He decides to head to Blackjack, Tar's apartment, to inform him of what happened and insists that they go to Shang-Chi and Linkos as they might be targets as well. Despite making fun of Reston for getting his ass kicked against Robin Hood, Tar joins his friend to go warn the others. Meanwhile, Shang-Chi and Liko decide to go see Miss Grievel, Sir Dennis Smith's secretary, after she was shot up during the Oriental Expeditors' attack on MI6. At the entrance, they cross paths with Smith himself, who completely ignores them. Brushing off the lack of pleasantries, both head to the door only to see a dagger hurled between them that lands into it. They both turn to see a shadow emerge from rising smoke in the street. Attila the Hun emerges and issues a challenge to both the lovers. Elsewhere in a remote safe house, three well-dressed mystery men gather to discuss the assassination of the four former MI6 agents. They plan on using Eric Slaughter, codenamed Warrior, a military buff who disguises himself as great warriors of the past with modern-day weapons during his missions. One of the men worries he is unstable, but his ally who gives a presentation assures him there's no liability if things go wrong. Back at the hospital, Shang-Chi and Liko team up against Attila due to the unusual weapons he wields. Liko is knocked unconscious by some knockout gas, forcing Shang-Chi to check on her. As he does, the Hun attacks with his shield that targets civilians with a projectile. Our hero tackles one of the civilians into the water to save them, but when he resurfaces, his enemy and his luffer are gone. In a panic, Shang-Chi rushes back to his apartment to only hear voices inside. He kicks down the door to find Blackjack Jack Targ Clive resting inside, who realize they are too late to help both their friends. Moving on to issue 56, titled Of Heroes Past and Battles Present. Your creative team for the book is Doug Minch, Pencilers is Jim Craig, Inkers is John Tartaglone, colorist is Phil Rachelson, Letters are Denise Wool and Ivoryne Wontanabe, and your editor, as always, is Archie Goodwin. The cover is drawn and colored by Ron Wilson and Mike Esposito, and this cover is uh, very strange because it says Death of the Black Ninja, which it has a ninja above Shang-Chi as he's looking like he's ready to fight somebody. And the ninja's doing a very ninja pose where he's like, there's two walls and he's holding himself up between the walls above Shang-Chi, but his weapons are not ninja at all. Um, it looks like he has stakes, much like Blade, and a uh, bandolier across his chest. One hand has a scimitar and the other one has a flail, not very ninja weapons, but other than that, he kind of looks just like a ninja. With the night's events told, Shang-Chi, Clive Reston, and Blackjack Tar are all lost on who could be behind the attacks. Though there are some similarities between Robin Hood and Attila the Hun, they are uncertain if it is more than one assassin after them. Realizing Lico's apartment could easily be known to the attackers due to them coming after Reston at his own, Tar drives the three to his rented hotel room because it isn't his permanent address. In a dark dungeon somewhere, St. George of Lita shouts at a caged and shackled Lico, going on about how women are the prize of warriors. As she is confused by his raving, the Christian crusader has a mental breakdown. Unsure of who he is, the lunatic roll-calls names throughout history until he comes to the conclusion that he is Eric Slaughter. The realization brings him to a confession of mental illness to Liko as he begs her to forgive him. Before he can free her, the Slayer of Darkness personality takes over, erasing any hope of Liko Wu escaping. At MI6, Sir Dennis Nayeon Smith contemplates if he was wrong for ignoring Shang-Chi and Liko at the hospital. His new secretary walks in, handing him a dossier along with the news of Miss Grivel's improving condition. Smith then asks her, if Tar has returned any of his calls, and to his disappointment, Miss Carstair replies that he hasn't, leading the head of MI6 to contemplate his actions even more. Back at Tar's hotel room, Shang-Chi and Clive Reston argue over the concern of Liko. Clive's bitterness over his former lovers leaving him becomes touchy and our hero is tired of not doing anything to find her. Before Reston can throw a punch... The door explodes and through the smoke, a ninja clinging to the ceiling attacks. Shang-Chi engages the assassin who begins throwing shuriken that seek out Reston and Clive's pistols, causing them to explode on impact. Despite the ninja's impressive skill, it isn't enough to defeat the master of kung fu who knocks him unconscious. Blackjack Tar ties up the assassin for interrogation and unmask him. None of them know who the man is, but Shang-Chi recognizes by his skill that this is the man who who is Attila the Hun. This leads Reston to think the same regarding Robin Hood as Blackjack Tar inspects the ninja's tech weapons. As he reveals the sophistication of the shuriken, they all turn to see that the assassin has escaped his bonds and silently vanished. In an undisclosed castle, the Slayer in Darkness greets the mysterious men who have assigned him before changing into another of his multiple personalities. As men complain about Eric Slaughter's antics, he comes dressed out as the Red Baron. With his mechanic having already prepped his aircraft, he salutes the Mystery Men before departing. As the sun rises, Shang-Chi, Tar, and Reston have driven the rest of the night to avoid any surveillance from their enemies while deciding on their next plan of action. Seeing how they, along with Liko, recently quit MI6, Tar and Reston figures there's a double agent within the agency that is targeting them to disrupt any possibility of them doing undercover assignments. Their plan is to sneak into MI6 and still files with hopes of discovering who the spy is. Sitting in the back seat as the two fall asleep, Shang-Chi contemplates on the current situation, wanting none of it but realizing it's the only way to find Liko. Then he decides when this is over, the two of them will find paradise together. Back at the castle, one of the mystery men decides dealing with the ridiculousness of Eric's slaughter is too much and decides to figure out what exactly the assassin is up to. Up in a tower, he discovers Leko shackled in cage. She asks his name, but he doesn't answer, only stating that he's going to report his findings to someone who can do something about it. Back in Tar's car, to his surprise, Shang-Chi wakes up to find he, Reston and Tarr, have slept the entire day. With night upon them, Tar decides it's time to set their plan in motion, but is interrupted by a loud droning overhead. Looking out at the full moon, they see a triplane diving at the car. The Red Baron flies by, firing lasers out of his aircraft and slicing the car in two. The trio scramble to get to cover as Slaughter turns and make another pass. In a disclosed location, an elderly man answers a call about how Eric Slaughter has disobeyed orders and kept Leeko Wu alive. A younger gentleman tells him not to worry. They can kill her themselves and still hope their assassin can take care of the other three. Now I'm going to go ahead and I'm take a break. I'm going to play you some podcasting promos for some friends when I get back. I'm going to dive into issues 54 and 56 of Master of Kung Fu. Do you love RPGs? Do you love solid storytelling driven by great role playing? Then check out the Last Tavern on the Left podcast, brought to you by the Villains of Man. Check out myself, JVD, Evan the Great, DMMD, Kyle, and the rest of the guys as they roll dice around the table, take the game seriously, and have a lot of good laughs. Check out new episodes every Monday over on thebillandsaman.com. Hello, world. It's time to open the green door and enter the, the strongest, strongest podcast there is, Gamma Charge. Way some mud. Russell and I dive into the history of the Incredible Hulk in comics, film, TV, games, and more. That's right, Justin, and we rate and review all the Jade Giants media, good and not so good, with a smash or a gamma clap. And we put on the rant pants when, when we, we are, we are And join us on Patreon to get exclusive bonus podcasts, prizes, and more at patreon.com forward slash Gamma Hulk Podcast. We will see you real soon, Gamma Beasts. Stay green. Gamma Charge, the strongest podcast there is. And welcome back to the Deadly Podcast the Kung Fu, brought to you by the villains man, myself, JVD. We're going to dive here into it. Issues 54 and 56 of Master Kung Fu. The story itself is intriguing. Obviously someone wants these agents dead after they've left MI6. We don't know who. I have an idea of who it is and they kind of give you an idea of who it is in this book. Which I find pretty interesting. The one thing I am very uncertain about is the villain of this book. And I'm not sure how I feel about it. It's unique. It keeps things interesting but overall... Uh, I don't feel that it has a strong presence in the book because it's not one person like you're used to typically reading in some books. Um, But let's go ahead and move on to some notes and some thoughts about these first two issues of this four-part story. Uh, The one thing we get is life moves on for all of these former agents of MI6. Um, We realize that Shang-Chi is now living with Liko Wu in her apartment and they are madly in love with each other. Because uh, we we're seeing them kissing and holding each other. And uh, Shang-Chi is really trying to adapt to the new, a new way of life to him. Uh, to modern times because, you know, forever he was locked up with his father. And for the most part, since he's been out with MI6 for a couple of years, we really haven't seen him um, dive into anything modern. Uh, except for the books in the last Shang-Chi episode that Clive Reston was giving him, which I referenced the Clockwork Orange In uh, this book, Liko goes out to grab some groceries, and uh, Shang-Chi has decided to go through her um, record set, because, you know, this is the 70s, everybody has records. And uh, Shang-Chi was uh, listening to some music, and uh, he shows her this one, and she says that it's Fleetwood Mac. And he tells her some of the lyrics, and it's kind of sweet and uh, charming. And he says... These words you can take me to the paradise and then again you can be cold as ice. I'm over the head but it sure feels nice. And and it's kind of sweet and she's really into it and it's kind of a side of Shang-Chi that you've not seen yet and it leads to a kiss and some romance between them and I really like that. Now, um as for Clive and Blackjack Tar, uh, you can tell they're not used to this at all and Blackjack Tar is completely bored out of his mind and you can tell that he's more of an agent than what clive reston is because clive has his own apartment blackjack tar does not he's mentioned that he's rented a room in a hotel that he's living out of which becomes important to the plot of the story so um so yeah you are really getting to see these guys try to live life that they're not used to and it clearly seems that Leco is more used to it than any of them and with so, she's adapting Shang Chi to doing so as well. And um, and then what I'm afraid of is this is going to. And I've, like I said, I've read a lot of the Iron Fist stuff for this podcast because I'm a huge Iron Fist fan. And I've never read this original run of Master of Kung Fu. And I'm afraid that these guys are going to wind up back with MI6. That's kind of what I'm afraid of. But I really like what's going on with this division because Shang Chi has taken a stand, and these other people have followed him. Now, um. Talking about life and adjustment, uh, we really see that Sir Dennis Daniel Smith is not adjusting to life at all, because he completely gives Shang-Chi and Liko the cold shoulder when he sees them at the hospital. I mean, he doesn't even talk to them, and Shang-Chi is like, okay, really, fuck him, I don't care, and it bothers Liko, and I get that, because uh, she was an agent before she was Shang-Chi's lover, and that makes a lot of sense. And she's very upset about it. And I'm very curious to see how that plays out when she actually meets him again. And we can even tell that this whole thing is bothering him. Um, And, I mean, for one, we can tell... uh, I just referenced how Black Jack Tar, like, most of the agency was his life because he didn't have his own place. And even further, when we get into issue 56, we see that even more because he's ignoring Smith's calls. Because Smith keeps putting in calls Black Jack Tar. And he's ignoring him. You know, there's a lot of karma there that... You know, he ignores Liko and them, and in turn, his best friend is ignoring him as well. And uh, he's having a lot of second thoughts about this, and it's, this is where I'm worried that they're going to wind up joining back up with him. Because he realizes that he has made a mistake, and I'm wondering what he's going to do to try to get them back in his good graces. So uh, before I move on to Eric Slaughter, the uh, warrior, um, it's the, the, the villains in question are the people who have assigned him. And uh, when we first meet them in this uh, disclosed safe house, because they're meeting in secrecy, and it's all they're all covered in shadow, and all you can see is just the lights from, like, flashlights or the projector that they're using, um, it makes you kind of wonder who they are. And I think I do realize who they are. In Master 51, uh, Shang-Chi mentions this. He says, I'm tired of intelligence. Tired of doing whatever you and your faceless superiors say simply because you say it. Tired of following orders issued by one side when the other side may be no worse. You condone the government's decision to destroy all of China in retaliation to the action of one man. So I think he tells us in 51 who these guys are. It's the faceless superiors and he believes that they're no worse than his father and I think... This is MI6 or some agency that's like above MI6 that issues the orders in MI6 wanting to kill these guys because I think they're more worried about maybe interference because um, obviously the government's dirty. We all know that people talk about governments being dirty all the time in the real world and I think what it is is they're afraid of Shang-Chi and Liko and Tar and Clive interfering in anything they're trying to do. Because when we go back to the claws of the cat story, um, when he fights Shin, Shin, sh- you know, tells him, you know, hey, we didn't steal any of this. You've been sent to steal this. You've been lied to, and all this has been snowballing to this. And I think that's who these mystery guys are. Either they're basically they're Sir Dennis Nayland Smith's bosses, and they realize that there's a huge liability for these guys, and they need to kill them. Um, and I could be wrong, but that's I. Shang-Chi, I do believe, put it in 51, who the bad guys are in this book. But let's go ahead and jump to Eric Slaughter, the uh, the supposed main villain of this story. Um, His backstory and kind of the stuff they talk to him about is pretty interesting. Let me pull it up here in my notes. Um, One of the guys, the main guy, this young guy, he says, "Uh, Eric Slaughter, codenamed Warrior, been with us for some time, now physically superb condition and... He's always been an intellectual, military history buff with deep interest in historic myths. Fascinating in short by the art of strife in general and these certain specific warriors. Very big on individual ethic, idolizing the lone fighter leader or leader against conquering all odds. So right there it tells you, if this guy has been with these mystery men, he's obviously with the agency. And so it's best to send one of your own agents against people because they wouldn't expect this and this is where we see tar and clive are thinking that it's a spy within mi6 and it's i don't think it's a spy i think it's mi6 or their superiors that are trying to take them off but um we realize that eric slaughter is not a normal person um there's more to him because we've seen him be robin hood we've seen him be attila the hunt and we've seen him be the slayer of darkness and um Basically, uh, he has a DID, or Dissociative Identity Disorder, um, kind of like the Hulk. And if you ever listen to the guys over on Gamma Charge, it's a really good Hulk podcast. They constantly bring DID up due to Banner and having all the personalities of the Hulk. And I'm not going to dive too much into that. Um, That's kind of those guys' territory, so... Follow those guys on Twitter and Instagram and subscribe to their podcasts. And they talk a lot about the DID system with Hulk and Bruce Banner. But um, the one thing you have to worry about here uh, with Eric Slaughter, uh, there's actually two characters named Eric Slaughter in Marvel Continuity. This guy was first. Um, He showed up here in issue 54. And it was, uh, as I said, April 12th from 1977. And there's also a Daredevil mobster. Uh, He's kind of like a head honcho. He has the same name, too, and uh, he actually debuts almost two years later on April 3rd, 1979 in Daredevil 159, and that's where I kind of got confused, because I was like, okay, I know there's a guy named Eric Slaughter. Where have I heard this from? And then I was like, oh, this is a different Eric Slaughter who actually came before. Um, now, as they, they're discussing who Eric Slaughter is, um, they say, until very recently... Uh, he himself has been a very timid and downy office worker type, overweight, nonviolent, and thus deemed a prime subject for our experimental program to produce the perfect optimum danger operative. More ties to what sounds like MI6. But he has then embarked on an independent psychological research as well as rigorous physical training. Or, uh, as he says, he kind of stumbles... Brainwashing may have already nudged him to that edge. Indeed, in keeping with his interest, he schizophrenically adopted the guises of various historical personalities. All warriors from the days of yore, hence the co-name, Warrior. But each persona is supplemented with advanced weaponry techniques. A laser lance, for example, suggesting that he's not completely lost in the past. It has been speculated that... His subconscious, he subconsciously employs these alternate personalities as a release for his own suppressed fantasies of heroism. Now, at first, when I was reading this, I could see where Mordillo is pulling the strings here. He was very whimsical. He, uh, w- We've seen the toy soldiers and the uh, Thomas the Train Killer cart thing that Shang-Chi survived. The uh, Humpty Dumpty thing in his island. And these personalities seem very much Mordillo. Um, and the weapon seems like stuff he would create for somebody. So now I'm curious if Mordillo is still alive and he has connections to this guy. Or because Mordillo once worked for MI6. Maybe if he's alive these guys have employed Mordillo again to help condition Eric Slaughter into being this assassin so um like i said it makes him really interesting because um it, every time he fights it's almost like you get a different character but you're not making that connection with one villain and that's kind of where i'm de- decisive on it now with the robin hood um personality when he attacks clive very green arrow i mean he almost kind of looks like green arrow when he comes in except for that he's got a crossbow instead of a longbow and And, uh, he carries an electrified sword. I can't ever, I don't even know if, I've seen, I've read books with Green Arrow fighting with a sword. I don't think he's ever had an electrified sword. Um, and then we see Attila the Hun, who actually deploys more weapons than what Robin Hood does. And, uh, Liko and Shang-Chi, and and I like seeing Liko fight with Shang-Chi. Um, she needs to fight more often, and I'm hoping we see that with the future of these books. But um he seems to display like gas canisters to basically kind of give himself some showmanship. And uh he carries this morning star, and it seems like each spike on the morning star houses some type of chemical agent. Uh one of them is acid, which it kind of burns Shang-Chi and his gi. The other one has a knockout gas, which uh Go Wu ducks a swing, which uh the spike hits the some brick and explodes, that's what knocks her out. And then he's got this shield with this spike, and it's almost like a giant drill bit that actually fires as a projectile. So he seems to employ way more technology than what any of them do. And then, um, then we have the Slayer in Darkness, and this is what I don't get. It says historical figures. If we're doing historical figures, and I'm not aware, the Slayer of Darkness is something I've never heard of um, at all in that kind of kind of throws the whole thing out the window because we do get the Red Baron, which we know is a real character. But as with the Slayer in Darkness, he does have some interesting weaponry. Um, he's got these claws that come out of his fingers, much like Black Panther does with his vibranium anti-metal claw- claws that he has. And then the shurikens that he have are uh, pretty interesting because they they detect metal. Um, and they ha I don't think it's metal that they detect, because, um, if they went after metal, it would be some of, it would actually attack some of his own weaponry when you think about it. I wonder if it's more like gunpowder, the, cons- well, the chemical makeup of gunpowder that it's attracted to, because, uh, the- I mean, if it was just attracted to metal in general, is what they say, I mean, it would attack, like, his sword. The uh, daggers attached to him, even his own shuriken, it would it would go after. So uh, there there has to be a little bit more with that, and then uh, finally we get the Red Baron, and um, which is kind of like my favorite frozen pizza. But um, I got to reading a lot about the Red Baron, in this book, Eric Slaughter flies a Fokker Drydecker One, which is the plane that Manfred von Richthofen, if I can pronounce that correctly, I'm not German. Uh, and that is the plane that he is most commonly associated with during World War I. Um, So it's cool that they used that plane. Um, and if you don't know what a triplane is, I mean, basically it's a plane that's got three wings attached to it. And it's even red in this book, and that's why he was called the Red Baron, because he would paint his pa- plane red, and a lot of his squadron would paint their their airplanes in very bright colors. And uh, and even kind of looked and uh, because I got really interested in the historical figure once I started reading stuff about him, and uh, he had 19 confirmed kills with this plane out of the 80 kills that he had throughout his history. Um, and one thing I figured is I did see there was a model he had more kills with, and I thought okay, if Eric Slaughter is a big history buff, it would make more sense for him to fly the plane he killed the most uh, airmen with but this is the plane he is most known for so I kind of guess I get that as well and uh, here's one thing that I'm interested in because I really got to reading the uh, Red Baron when I was uh, looking at planes and whatnot and the Red Baron during War I seemed like a very honorable person Uh, they said that the first plane that he shot down he went to that person's grave and actually like paid homage to them um and i think i forgot they, they, they he placed the stone to honor the the pilots of the first plane shot down and by what i understand it seemed like he did that with all uh every pilot he shot down and then um he would remember them and he would have a silver chalice crafted for each pilot that he had shot down to you know as a memorial that he kept for himself in honor of each airman that he killed. And uh, he shot down 80 aircraft during War One that were actually registered. Uh, they say that if the number of people he's proclaimed and people said that he had shot down that flew over and landed on enemy lines, his kill count is probably over 100, which is pretty impressive. Uh, and I don't want to go too much into the character, but to f- this guy barely started flying. Before he before he adapted it to war, he wanted to fly because he was bored of just basically bringing food to soldiers. He wasn't even a real soldier, and his story is really interesting. So, and it's something I'm really going to read some more into, uh, because World War One and World War Two is stuff I like to learn about. My um, my great great cousin was actually in World War Two, and he was. Uh, if, I, if I'm right, he was there for D-Day, and my uncle actually has paperwork for him because he was in the military too. So I kind of get big on military stuff. Um, and the last guy that we see is St. George, the um, big popular Christian crusader in history. We don't see him fight yet, but we know he has this energy lance. And so I'm very curious to see how that plays out because we have not seen him fight. St. George, which I imagine after, uh, this Red Baron fight, it's probably the final character that we're going to get. So, um, I'm very curious to see how much of this I'm right about in the next two, uh, issues that I'll cover after this. Uh, like I said, I'm very interested to re- see where this story goes and with this character of Eric Slaughter, because if he's anything like the Red Baron, who I've learned that it had a bit of honor to him during World War I against his fallen enemies, or just his enemies in general, um... I'm curious to see if he'll show that mercy. Because we see that Eric Slaughter wanted to show that mercy to Liko. But St. George, um, when he turned into the Slayer of Darkness, did not. So I'm curious to see how that goes out. The best thing about this story is Return of the Love Triangle between Liko, Shang-Chi, and Reston. Because Reston was going to take a swing and I was so hoping he was going to hit Shang-Chi with it. So the two could lead into a fight. Can't wait to see that continue on. But anyways, I'm going to wrap up this episode of Deadly Podcast of Kung Fu. You can follow the podcast over on Twitter and Instagram. Follow me, JVD, over on Twitter at JVD of TVD. If you like my music, you can check out Rushing Tiger by Kuro over on SoundCloud. But remember, guys, in the end, support your favorite podcast, support your local comic book shops, and keep reading comics, guys. Oh! <laughs>